Just here in Uxbridge today, um, Boris Johnson's constituency. Don't you ever mention that name in front of me, that filthy piece of toe rag? Rags and welcome to the latest, essentially impossible <laughs> edition of Romaniacs. After Johnson's offer was rejected by Angela Merkel, an unnamed number 10 spokesman has been piling on the insults. It's almost as if this was Dirty Dom's plan all along, as we will be discussing later. By the way, you may well have heard another Get Ready for Brexit ad at the start of the show. We know this has annoyed some listeners, but we can't block them without blocking lots of other legitimate adverts. So we're donating all the money that we've got from them, a total of 1,500 quid, to Led by Donkeys to fund their own campaign to spoof those self-same ridiculous ads. It's going to help fund the winners of their Get Ready to Mock Boris Johnson competition. The winners have just been chosen by David Schneider and Armando Iannucci, so uh, go online and have a look at them. Political diarists, listen up. The headline is, Go Funds Ramonas with 1,500 quid of your your tax money. I'm Andrew Harrison, and here to help us decode the latest Brexit signals from the paranoid Pollock Bureau, we have three of our regulars. Fresh from a week's holiday and clearly delighted to be back, it's Naomi Smith, Chief Executive Best for Britain, and the Twitter titan known as Pimela Cat. Hello, Naomi. Are you recuperated for the final battle? Yeah, I am, actually. I thoroughly recommend everybody but he has a bit of time off in the sunshine. Very, very good for you. Were you even vaguely tempted to not come back to do a Reginald Perry <laughs> fake it? <laughs> 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 Update <reference laughs> No, because I'm a bit of a junkie and just come back for the fix. This is shaping up to be the most crucial fortnight since the referendum itself. I saw it described the other day as the most crucial fortnight in British history since the Second World War. Johnson's offers in bits. We've got the EU summit on the 17th, big demos on the 12th and 19th. What is your assessment of where we're at now? Your nutshell. Um... I think this week, actually, a referendum is looking slightly more likely than it was. I think that is now fast becoming talked up as the better route out. I think most of the MPs are still terrified of a general election, definitely don't want it. Um, So I think, you know, and I've been one of the people saying it's going to be a general, it's going to be a general, it's going to be a general. I still think that that is highly likely. Uh, But I do think that a referendum is creeping back up the priority priority order for some people. Um, And we're seeing a lot of uh, Conservative MPs that have stayed within the Conservative Party really begin to feel uncomfortable about staying um, and that, you know, effectively having no deal on the manifesto being the thing that is going to push them over. So I think our numbers are are getting there. Um, I think we are going to see some kind of uh, legislation being put down um, immediately after the summit. Um, And uh, and we now know that the um, MPs are going to be sitting on the Saturday of the the, the big people's vote march on Saturday 19th um, when they'll hopefully try to do the SO24, get the order paper and then put down some kind of legislation uh, around a a referendum on the Monday potentially. So I think uh, I'm feeling quite optimistic at the moment. Will they be able to hear us in the chamber if we're out the column (laughs) and can make a real round? Yeah, they should should be able to, yeah. yeah. But what we've just got to make sure we do is clear a path for them to get in because wouldn't it be yeah. awfully ironic if it was Extinction Rebellion <laughs> yeah. and the People's Vote March that stopped the Remain MPs actually getting in to vote? It is a bit rich, by the way, isn't it? The Prime Minister that said we've got to prorogue Parliament. To, uh, you know, we, we don't need Parliament for the next five weeks. But We're we pro- do need it on a Saturday. On a Saturday now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, charming. Also with us, fresh from a triumphant performance as Pasha Salim in Mozart's Seraglio at the Hackney Empire last night. Yes, we've got culture in Hackney. Sing to... <laughs> Sing to the mighty Pasha, resound fiery song, and let the shore reverberate with the joyful sound of our songs. It's actor <laughs> Cook, writer, political commentator, is there anything he can't do, Alexandreo. <laughs> Hello, Alex, how you doing? Hello, I don't know how I can live up to that introduction. <laughs> Did you enjoy your taste of power as the Pasha? Oh, I love it. 
I love it. I should always be draped with women, I think. <laughs> you did a very good job of walking around looking like somebody shouldn't be disagreed with. I, I, I think we should send you to Brussels to go in bloody hard on Britain. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of talk in the in the opera about European women born for freedom, isn't there? Well, I mean, I I just think it's isn't it typical that Mozart in 1782 was writing an opera that was attacking this orientalist idea of foreigners and Muslims as barbarians, mm-hmm. and 250 years later we're still talking about the same shit. He's just metropolitan elite. You should don't listen to him. He's metropolitan. Yes, elite. I know Vienna elite. <laughs> what's your What's your take on where we're at in this? We've had so many crunch weeks. Is this crunch crunch week? What's your What, what do you think we're at? Um, I don't think it is. I think. It's the week after that will be crunch, crunch weeks. I mean, purely in terms of timings. Um, obviously, this is a vitally important week, but I think it will come down to the actual end of the month. Um, I I have the same feeling as Naomi. I think things are very gently shifting now towards the referendum. I've heard noises from people like Amber Rudd, Kenneth Clark who are very resistant to the idea of a, of a final say vote. Um, recently, they've been much softer towards it, and I think they're key unlockers of that wing of the Tory party, so I'm feeling quite hopeful. All right. Completing the team is Ian Dunt, editor of politics.co.uk, author of the upcoming book How to Be a Liberal and That Exasperated Man You See on the Television. Hello, Ian. <laughs> <How are you? laughs> Very well, thank you. They certainly picked the right week to re-announce the Brexit 50p, didn't they? <laughs> now, oh, going to wow, be three yeah. times as many of them. Yeah, but I mean, they've already changed the date on that thing once before. So I just don't think they just don't give a shit. They will just keep on churning this stuff out because ultimately its only purpose is, you know, the trolling that it accomplishes when it's announced rather than the thing that comes out. So are they reminting them or are they someone scratching out (laughs) 29th of March? I don't know. I don't don't know much about the technical process of creating coinage and like the point at which it's too late to go back and fucking. I am disappointed in you. I'm not going to lie. I I expect you to have it myself. <laughs> well, there was, there was a lot of talk about how this you know, this coin, supposedly with a date in 10 days' time, hasn't yet been minted yet, and it could well be rattling around in your pocket as a reminder of how Brexit didn't happen, as could indeed the get ready for Brexit as a reminder to you of how it didn't happen, <laughs> sort of bidding against themselves a little bit. We're going to get into the government's game of chicken, plus Dominic Cummings' increasingly unhinged briefings and strong-arm tactics with the other EU countries later. Plus, what's up with that government of national unity that's still showing no sign of materialising? And, while nobody is looking, Project Fear is actually coming true, with collapses in consumer confidence and warnings of the largest deficit in 50 years should we leave on no deal. Those cheerful subjects and more follow this reminder from Pasha Salim himself. <laughs> in the Pasha voice. Yes, please. Oh, please. No. Go on. <laughs> I'm not your performing monkey. <laughs> <laughs> reminder number one. If the trains are still running after 31st of October, we're off to Manchester on Saturday the 2nd of November for our very first Romaniacs live show in the north of England, or Salford to be precise. Ian, Dorian and Roz will be appearing at the Lowry, the spectacular venue Salford Quays near Media City, for a matinee show on the first weekend after supposed Brexit Day. Tickets are going fast and they may well constitute Britain's only hard currency if no deal goes through, so get yours now before the surge when we announce our special guest next week. There'll be a traditional high-quality Brexit analysis and low-quality Brexit (laughs) jokes... Plus exclusive special merchandise appropriate for Mancunian, Salforders and everyone from across the sprawling M62 Metroplex. Search Lowry Romaniacs for tickets. 
Remember, Patreon backers get early bird access to all our live tickets and a discount, plus mugs and T-shirts and early access to the podcast. Reminder number two. This Saturday, the 12th of October, it's the Rally for Our Rights in London, a static protest rather than a march. Protesters are meeting at St John's Garden in Westminster and then moving on to the Home Office, the European Parliament UK office on St John's Smith Square and 55 Tufton Street, which should be interesting. Mm. Be there if you can. And next Saturday, 19th of October, it's the big one. The Let Us Be Heard march in London from Park Lane to Parliament. This one you really have to get to. We need to make it the biggest anti-Brexit demo yet. Romaniacs will be there. Please be there if you can. That's Romaniacs live at the Lowry in Manchester at 2pm on Saturday, 2nd of November. And search Patreon Romaniacs to support the show. First up, blame. Makes a man think things over. Or maybe it doesn't. Johnson and Merkel had a phone call on Monday, after which Number 10, basically Cummings, rushed out an extraordinary briefing, claiming that Merkel's demands for Northern Ireland to remain in a customs union made a deal look, quotes, essentially impossible. Not just now, but ever. It also made clear that they are willing to torpedo the Good Friday Agreement, he said, which is a bit rich coming from the people who've been ignoring the Good Friday Agreement so far anyway. The mess was compounded by an equally obnoxious leak to the spectator, in which Cummings said that countries which oppose delay, i.e. an extension, will go to the front of the queue on future cooperation, (laughs) and supporting delay will be seen by this government as hostile interference in domestic politics. Ian, is Dominic Cummings basically trying to brief us into a no-deal? Yes, I think he probably is at this stage. Um, so, I mean, all this stuff is essentially the establishment of the narrative. And the narrative at this stage is quite clear that they want to move on from the deal. No, actually, let me be clear. Cummings wants to move on from the deal onto the no deal prep. Because there are other forces sort of within Downing Street and certainly within the Conservative Party who are much more cautious um, wouldn't take that approach. But coming from him, it was quite clear when you put those two things together, that long memo to the spectator, which has just got, became more and more demented the, the further it went on. And then the stuff that was said about Angela Merkel, which was quite clearly in his voice. I mean, you look at the content of what she was, of what was being said, and you think, of course, it seems completely reasonable this kind of conversation would be there. That, you know, so for instance, you would say it's not the same for Germany to leave the EU as it is for Britain to leave the EU, or I beg your pardon, for the UK, because the UK is made up of a bunch of different nation states across a complex geographical area. So she probably would have said something like that, but that was then framed in this very Cummings-like way of like, ah, oh, fuck you, your mum's a slag, and by the way, if Germany <laughs> wants to leave, we can fucking leave, and off but we go. It also it read like one of his mad Lex Luthor blog posts, didn't it? Yeah. The syntax and the cadences were all the same. Yeah, you can tell, there's something about um, the words he uses as well. So he uses the word players, I think, quite a bit. Like, you, can, you can always tell when it's him. That doesn't mean that we don't have a problem with this anonymous briefing thing. Um, because, you know, the one argument against that is to say... Well, look, we fucking know it's him. Every time you read something from him, you're like, obviously that's him, just by the degree of like that kind of pounding confidence that he uses to try and sort of get you into submission. However, it still matters because just by having it anonymized, it gives Downing Street distance from it and it makes it look more plausible than it really is because it's a source, right? It's not like the person that's actually, it seems like someone's going from underneath, whereas actually he's trying to dictate the policy. Yeah. So that all matters. And that's really all that we were getting from that was him trying to move on to the next stage of the narrative. But as you alluded to before, that's triggered more resistance within the Conservative Party and within Downing Street than he may have anticipated. Is this the amazing plan that was going to make us all melt, do you think? Or is he improvising? Is he winning? Classic Dom. Classic Dom. Well, the thing is that every time there's a new plan, but every time you see the plan, it's always very, very poor. You know, so I mean, the latest one is, well, the Queen... Basically, the latest one is, look, if the Queen wants to try and get rid of me, even in a no-confidence vote, then 
she's going to have to fight me. <laughs> you know, that was like, that was like the latest plan. You're like, really, is that the plan? Now, of course, the same thing with prorogation. I mean, over and over, whenever the plan gets revealed, it's rubbish. And in this case, it seems like the plan was, we're going to come up with this wacky two borders sort of idea, put it to the Europeans, they'll reject it. We'll have a chat on the phone to, to Angela. And if, you know, if she says anything, we will then repackage that into those bastard Germans taking control of Europe and now they've slagged off Britain and so off we go. Yeah. But when you see it, when it happens, you're just like, this is really very poor and if you were made out of Play-Doh, you would be better at executing this kind of strategy. Really poor. It's, it's also really wrong because the um, explanatory notes to the Fixed Term Parliament Act make it clear that the purpose of that 14-day period after... Uh, you know that 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 if if somebody resigns or there is a, a successful no confidence motion, um, is that the precise purpose of it is to allow an alternate government to be formed, and the act doesn't um, affect the power of the Queen to dismiss the PM. It relies on the existence of that power to work. And anyway, we could easily put down a bit. Oh, of, I think of just about every it, lawyer just, on Twitter has, has pointed and laughed at it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But 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 no, I mean, none of this is none of this is actually for sort of legal consumption within the world of Parliament. It is therefore consumption outside. It's for the consumption on front pages, isn't it? Mm. It's there to be reported in block capitals, as Brussels says. Now, uh, you know, are Johnson and Cummings basically just banking on a kind of visceral xenophobic? bunch of prejudices about hostile Irish and bossy con- continentals to win what they would consider to be like a, mo- a moral victory on this. Yeah, I mean, it's core vote stuff. Um, we also saw this horrendous leave.eu uh, Facebook advert yesterday. Oh yeah. uh, I won't repeat the word exactly, but it had a picture of Andrew Mer- Angela Merkel and it was, we didn't win yeah. two world wars in order to be run by German Another word slur. for Jamie. Yes. Yeah. Um, and you had Richard Tice this morning, or even late last night, I can't remember what it was, saying, this is awful, this is abhorrent. And lots of Remainers falling into the trap of thinking, oh, victory, here there's there's um, separation between, you know, Brexit Party and, and Leave.eu. But I just think it's nonsense because that's exactly what they did in 2016. It was yeah, yeah. perfectly framed to say, yeah, we'll let Leave.eu appeal to the xenophobes and the racists and we'll appear as vote leave as these very moderate and, you know, you know, calm people that can appeal to the... the breaking point. Right? Exactly, exactly. All over, all again. over again. And it, 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 Richard Tice is perfectly happy for that kind of propaganda yeah, yeah. to be going out. And so it, it, it's all part of this this narrative of, of, of shoring up their core vote. Yeah. Classic Dom has also been briefing repeatedly at ways that they can frustrate the Ben Act. But they did concede on Friday that they actually have to write the letter. Mm-hmm. I mean, what can they do short of putting a second-class stamp on it or getting the postcode wrong? I mean, are there, are there <laughs> you know, again, the idea of a second letter? <laughs> Maybe that's the plan. <laughs> yeah, you know, to, you know, to the EU, Europe, underline, is the address on the envelope. Uh, uh, the idea of another letter was, was, was floated. Do, do we have any more idea on how they think they might, might try to frustrate the Ben Act? Um. Well, there's been all sorts of rumours this week. One, that he'll put the letter in early um, and earlier than, than we're all expecting because you know, some parliamentarians are thinking, OK, well, at, at what point do we give him on the 19th to have submitted it by? Is it 5pm? Do we have to leave it until 23.59? Do we try and force him to do it beforehand? Others saying, look, I think he'll, he'll go really early with it. He'll put the letter in really early. And then he could even resign um and then the 14 days kicks in and it it puts huge pressure then on Jeremy Corbyn to not try and call a general election or, or go for that and that's exactly what Boris Johnson wants and you know what Cummings will want and that's how they will get a huge majority um there's also um some uncertainty about 
from whom Tusk can accept a letter. Yeah. Um, and it, I think it's, um, uh, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but it, it's, a, it's a kind of um, a relevant authority. But then there's a subclause saying, and that that authority has consensus behind yeah, it. Yeah. You know, So it doesn't necessarily have to be the Prime Minister or even the executive, but it, it certainly has to be a, a, an un... Um, uh, well, it's yeah, it's got it's got to have majority support. So it, it, that's all a bit unclear. I haven't heard any more about the second letter than that, really. Okay. Alex, you were amused at the weekend by the Opinium poll, which said that Johnson's proposed deal is three times more popular amongst Brexiters than May's was, even though it's ninety nine point nine percent identical. The key reason they liked it was that it, it is unacceptable to the EU. Yeah, so yeah, they, they, they like they, it because they don't like it. They were they were asked to cite reasons, and the top one was um, that they trust Boris Johnson more because he's more authentically a Brexiter. But the second top one was that they liked it because the May deal had been approved by Europe and this one hasn't and it looks <laughs> like it won't. So they consider it a better deal, <laughs> which just about goes to show Everything you need to know about this whole clusterfuck, I'm afraid. It's Schrodinger um, stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, the, I, I have to slightly disagree with both Ian and Naomi, not in their analysis. Their analysis is perfectly right, but I just think there isn't a plan. I don't think there is a plan. I think I think it's Nicky da Costa in an office somewhere at the back of Downing Street looking up ancient fucking precedents and going, ooh, I may have something, and then everyone getting excited, and it leaks out there, and they basically better test it via Twitter, and suddenly every lawyer says, don't be an idiot, that won't work, and they go, oh, right, I'll go and but, look for something else. But what else. about if a Welshman drove some sheep across London Bridge? Then it would be illegal, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... I, I think it's that basic. I think it's it, it comes down to Dominic Cummings having half read two books about game theory ten years ago and thinking he understands it. Because we saw we saw this replicated. We saw the the game theory about the chicken, you know, the the game of chicken. Um, where you're meant to rip off the steering wheel, throw it out the window, and then your opponent has no choice but to swerve. And he tried to apply this to a situation where we're driving against 10 possible opponents, parliament, you know, courts, the EU, or and found out it doesn't work in a non-binary scenario. So back he goes, and he's now trying to apply the prisoner's dilemma, which says that if you offer inducements, you can divide people. So that's what they're doing with member states. They're saying, ooh, if you if you support an extension, you'll go to the bottom of the queue. It's idiotic. They negotiate as a block. That's the whole fucking point of the EU. There's not a bottom and top of the queue. When they <laughs> negotiate a deal, it will be as an one block. So I don't know what they're talking about. I, I genuinely don't. The prisoner's dilemma division of offering inducements to people to take a plea bargain absolutely relies on the prisoners being unable to negotiate with each other, <laughs> unable to communicate, That's unable to signal the prison. strategy. <laughs> the, the EU27 will get in a fucking room and chat about it and come up with one answer. So I don't understand how he thinks he can affect that. But sure, the answer to that is he doesn't and he knows he can't. This is not for the consumption of the EU. This is to go into the spectator. This is to go into the telegraph. I'm Where not sure he does. I'm not sure he does. Mm. I think he may be a bona fide idiot who got lucky a couple of times and is now seen as a genius until the whole thing falls apart. 
It is hard to tell with him, isn't it? Because he's obviously not this huge galaxy brain genius. We know that much. But also, I mean, do you remember when he was writing in The Spectator actually under a byline after the referendum? Yeah. It was actually him writing it. Um, he then talked about the 350 million stuff during the campaign. And when he talked about the figure, he spe- there's a bit in that where he specifically says, oh, as a matter of fact, we get, you know, more than half of it back. And blah, blah. So it was like he did know. You know what I mean? I, I'm not suggesting that you have to be particularly intelligent to understand that simple <laughs> fact. But he did actually know that and nevertheless thought, look, put forward the lie because then it just becomes part of the wash. It just comes becomes part of the debate and off we go. The truth is he probably, he does seem like, He's, I don't think he's a complete idiot, but I don't think he's that smart. And so, and that, the, sort, the sort of attitude you get of like a really superficial understanding of how the EU operates, what people's incentives are. If you look at him talking about Varadkar, he's, he's doing a, an analysis of what this guy would be thinking if he was Dominic Cummings. So he's sort <laughs> yeah, of yeah, thinking yeah. of him as if it's some sort of like, mm. sort of, you know, basically like sort of high school chess tournament. That's the mm. sort of level that he's operating on, on yeah. Varadkar stuff. So I think that's probably the right way to take. Neither an idiot, definitely not a galaxy. No, but that's how political consultants are. They're all geniuses until they're not. Where's Linton Crosby today? He was a genius all the way up until Zach Goldsmith's disastrous London campaign and then the 2017 May election. Where is he now? Mm. He was an unbeatable... No, but the point is he was an unbeatable genius up to that point. He was someone oppositions trembled before and and thought, oh, he's involved, we've lost. Professor Phil Serpice, uh, Professor of EU Law at Bristol, has long been saying that the key to this is that they actually don't care about Brexit. They care about power. And a thwarted Brexit, trapped in the bear trap for the cycle of the next parliamentary session, actually serves the Conservatives staying in power more than actually delivering Brexit would. What do we think about that? I mean, I'm paraphrasing him hugely. Yeah, yeah. Apologies, Phil, if I've badarised what, what you've said. But there. do you mean they'll go to an election or they won't go to it? Because if they don't go to an election, they just don't have the I mean, votes to do, do anything, anything now. Yeah. Mm. I think so, the idea is that, that you know that it, it cements the idea of a permanent victim status. Yeah. It creates the EU as a permanent enemy that is trapping us, that's, that's um, you know, uh, refusing to allow us to leave. And that actually that victim status chimes more strongly with the core leave vote than saying, here you go, Brexit, done and dusted, shops are about empty, electric's off for three hours a day, but we've done it. I don't really buy it, but I also don't really buy the dichotomy because I think that they think their political survival is based on just trying to consolidate the Leave vote, whether it's the Brexit Party vote or you know people within the Conservative Party. And on that basis, what they want to do is satisfy those voters through rhetoric and through policy. Now, that obviously entails trying to drive towards Brexit. If it was to to happen and everything goes catastrophically wrong, which frankly is a very likely outcome of it happening, especially under them, then they will just find someone else to blame. I think it's, it's short-sighted of us to think that mm. they've only got one object to blame. They will always find someone yeah, else. Yeah, and, and that, that's often been my fear of, you know, today the othering is you know, Europe and EU nationals and, and migrants. from and, and once they're no longer the big bad wolf, I think it turns to things that are even more yeah, yeah, pernicious yeah, yeah. and yeah. suddenly it's people yeah. who aren't white and, and, and that's how it continues. Mm-hmm. I'm going to post Phil Serpice's thread on all of our social media networks because I'm absolutely sure I've completely misrepresented what he said there. So please do read it. <laughs> and don't pin. Make what your I, own minds up, kids. Yeah, make your own mind up. You know, uh, it's, it is a jolly good read and I've almost certainly completely misunderstood it. Anyway, just quickly, um, obviously we've got the uh, the, the uh, first time since the Second World War or whatever, or since the Falklands crisis sitting on Saturday coming up. Um, it's all going to go squeaky bomb time. Do we, around the table, think that Britain is leaving the EU on the 31st of October? No. No. No, I don't. Not at all. 
That'll be a no, then. <laughs> I think people should start making their evening party decisions now for October the 31st so they can properly celebrate No Brexit Day. Yeah. We've had two No Brexit Days so far. I don't think people have celebrated in the proper way. Quite right. And they need to have dinner parties and make the most of these well, special the festive occasions. Is, Ian, you put out the cookies for Father Brexit and they're still there in the morning. He has <laughs> on. And the Brexity reindeers haven't come down the chimney. Can I can yeah. I tell you, at my party, you'll be eating a lot of chickpeas because I've stocked Stop my the, <laughs> 10 kilo sack. Yeah. <laughs> so it's Great. chickpeas for the next six months for Meanwhile, in a galaxy far, far away, the Death Star is almost within range, but the Rebel Alliance still can't get its act together. Who will get to run the fabled Government of National Unity if it ever happens? And attend... (laughs) The big party in the forest with the Ewoks once Brexit has been blown to pieces. Labour, the Lib Dems and the SNP appeared as far away as ever on Monday. They can't decide when to vote Johnson out or who should replace him as head of the magical imaginary GNU. Uh, Should they crack on with it or should they heed the wise words of Admiral Akbar? It's a trap. (laughs) They have have hidden the plans in the escape pod. Well, we're actually inside the escape pod right now. Naomi, you have the ear of the rebel scum. What's going on? What, with the GNU? Yeah, I mean, is it any? We just—it seems to be circular negotiation. You're really sticking to that GNU thing, aren't you? I like saying GNU, 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 GNU. Right. Well, okay. Well, I've got a few views on this. One, I think um, the attacks on the Liberal Democrats over it are tribal nonsense because it's—it's it's not in the Liberal Democrats' gift to create a GNU with Jeremy Corbyn as leader. Even it's not like everyone else agrees that it should happen and we're just waiting for those 19 votes from the Lib Dems to come over and then we've got it. Joe Swinson could be like, fine, yeah, we'll accept Jeremy as, you know, PM, caretaker PM. It it still isn't happening, right? You've still got no way the 21 It's not going to bring Philip Hammond around, is it? (laughs) And it sure as hell isn't going to bring the the larger numbers of of Conservatives that we need. So that sort of stuff, I mean, while I, I don't necessarily condone the level of Joe Swinson's rhetoric against... Labour at the moment, I, I'd still, you know, it's unhelpful and it's not in the collaborative spirit that we need to be, you know, uniting against the common enemy of Johnson. I also don't think that her being, you know, branded as the, the blocker, so yeah, Gnu yeah. is fair or mathematically accurate. But she should just take a step back yeah, yeah, and yeah, maybe say, down, well, if you show me you've got the numbers. I'll... So I think there's a lot of work going on uh, for them to talk about, OK, what would the Gnu do? So let's park who leads well, it. Don't know. know. <laughs> What would the Gnome so, do? Gnome, tell us. <laughs> <laughs> what would the Gnome do? Um, do what would the Gnome do? Gnome, they well, so, so I think what's happening is that they're going to talk about all of the things that it could do and the time span with which it would do it, the time limitedness of it, that it would be purely for the purposes of securing and delivering a referendum followed by a general election yep. in that order um, within a time frame of, say, 30th of June. Um, who would do which roles, what sort of vetoes could be um, put in place? So in order to accept Jeremy Corbyn as a caretaker PM, what 
vetoes could some of the others have over it, etc. So I think they're trying to get to the stage of if we can agree 95% of it and just leave out the and who would actually lead it thing uh, right to the end, then they might be <laughs> you know, married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got the band in, just the DJs haven't, are all sorted got out. the bride. First yeah. time, <laughs> I love you. Just need the bride uh, yeah. or the groom. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's sort of what's happening um the there were the uh opposition leader talks again this week the news coming out of that wasn't wholly depressing of course they didn't agree on who would be a caretaker pm but they were making strides on other fronts and continuing to talk to each other and not to totally fall out so by being it, not awful it, news. By being uh, so kind of hardcore about it, is Swinson possibly burning a lot of the political capital she's accrued by being Captain Sensible over the summer? And it, it, it's well, you've got to think about the political science of it. So she needs to win in the Libcon marginals. So electorally disastrous to try and position yourself as somebody who is delivering a prime minister for whom. Those seats yeah, yeah. we find totally abhorrent and you're very, very reliant on uh, doubling, quadrupling even the number of MPs they've got at the moment by doing that. So um, if you mean the the electoral capital, yeah. no. If you mean political capital in terms of the bridge building between other MPs, possibly. And, and that's why I think some of the some of the language needs to be softened and toned down slightly. Um, and we also mustn't underestimate the the psychological effect for having been burned by a coalition mm-hmm, politically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, in, it, and and she was a minister. It, it in was that, only and... three four years ago that they yep. suffered a complete collapse mm-hmm. because yep. they were seen as going into a totally. coalition that was totally. Condemned. And 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 Labour are doing a you know a, a, a job, whether it's good or not, of really spinning the whole look. You know, you've got extreme conservatives that want an extreme version of Brexit. You've got extreme Lib Dems who just want to tear up democracy and revoke, even though you said you want to leave. And here we are, these sensible people in the middle saying that it'll be a democratic decision for voters. And just look at what happens to the Lib Dems. You know, if you stand in the middle of the road, you will get hit by yeah, trucks yeah, yeah. coming down both from, you know, both in both directions. Yeah. It's, it's not great though, isn't it? If you think about it, the, the, the people's vote proposal is, is now emerging the middle of as the road yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine when yeah. we started doing this podcast that it would be ever termed yeah, in that exactly, kind of way. Exactly. Well, it's interesting that the Overton window on this issue hasn't so much been dragged to one side as Yanked. widened yeah. to include just everything. about absolutely everything. everything. Yeah. It's really bonkers because the usual movement is that as some options appear on one side, options drop off on the other. But this has just been yanked. Wide open. Elastic Overton. Elastic Overton. Performing at the Roundhouse in 1967. (laughs) Can I ask something of uh, Ian and Naomi? Why on earth would Corbyn want it? This is the the part I've never actually understood. Would it not be more sensible for him to keep himself, if he values this position of relative neutrality, um, and, and he thinks he can still appeal to some traditional Labour Brexit voters... Why on earth would he want to be the person seen as getting into number 10 via the back door and signing, you know, the the request for an extension, a referendum, whatever? Why wouldn't he want to be kept pure, as it were, keep his powder dry for the next election? I don't get it. Other than being entrenched in a tribal way of saying, no, it's our guy. Because It actually, politically, it makes much more sense for him to say, you know, 
in a statesmanlike way, uh, as uh, you know, for the good of the country, I'm stepping aside so that Margaret Beckett right. can uh, do uh, the so job. That, for so the that, next six I was months. waiting for you to get to the point of who it would be. If you're saying that it would be to uh, offer it to another Labour MP, this has been a forty-year struggle for them. And they're not going to concede it back to the very people they've been fighting sure. for, for four decades. That's why, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, Ian may have a different view on it. But So you think uh, a Kenneth Clark it, is more likely than a Harriet Harman, <sighs> effectively? Potent, potentially, mm. but I mean, yeah, I, I, they, they are, I just, he, he will have a gun held to his head Some over Some technocratic figure from outside politics, because that is the more continental way, that in times of a exactly. government <laughs> of national unity, they will go to some, you know, respected professor, an accountant, or, a, you know, do you know what I'm I mean? I'm an accountant. They will go to a figure from, from <laughs> <Thanks>. out with... <laughs> Politics and say, but can that, you be there? Well, that doesn't. That does not fit with the uh, for the many against the few, doesn't it? That it, you know, a belief in uh, technocratic solutions is very much the last bunch is idea. Yeah. You know, I mean, unless, you, unless you're going to give it to Billy Bragg or somebody, you, you kind of you, there's an absence of clean hands. No, I understand, but we have but a technical problem. For a new England. We have a technical very problem good, that <laughs> needs a practical solution. <laughs> yes, that's the point. Mm. It's a technical problem that needs a practical solution. You're pitching, aren't you? I am, yeah. yeah. Pasha Selim for Prime Minister. Absolutely. He wore the hat and now he's just totally addicted. I am, I am crazed with power, drunk on it. Ian, you're very sceptical about the whole GNU, aren't you? The GNU? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't really, I don't really get what the fuck we're all, I just don't understand why you're talking about. I mean, first of all, it seems to me like at the moment this debate is sort of almost neutralised because until we know how long the extension that the EU offers is, we're not going to really know what's going to be happening on our end. If it's January, it's a completely different situation we're in to if it's June, right? In terms of referendums, in terms of elections, in terms of the manoeuvring at home. So, so first of all, I just sort of think, there's almost no point talking about it until we've got an idea of, of how long the next stage will last. It could even be shorter than January. There's nothing to fucking stop them. And some guys over there are so pissed off that they're just like, well, you know, we make it shorter. That's a new development. It certainly won't be longer than June because the new seven-year financial yeah. window starts yeah, to be yeah, negotiated. Yeah. Then. So by then, it's, it's a definite cutoff. But I think that will dictate the kind of response that we have. The second one is, I mean, I find it incredibly tedious because it's quite obvious what the right thing is to do in this sort of scenario. It's just like, first of all, he's the leader of the opposition, so obviously he gets the first go. I mean, of course he does. It's not written down, but just Mm. by virtue of political reality, of course he gets the first go. And if that fails, then you would try someone else. And if you get to the end of the 14-day window, then it's an election anyway. But then I sort of think, well, why would we even do this exactly? Because once, let's say we're past October the 31st, right? So the threat of no deal has been taken off the table for now and you're going into an election. Why would it, sort of in line with Alice's point, why would it be make any sense to have the election that way after you've assisted in Cummings's attempt to portray you as this undemocratic sort of threat to the will of the people by forming a government that hasn't been voted for? Hmm. That doesn't seem the right way to, for me to go either. And then I have this stuff, that, which I feel less strongly about, but does concern me a bit about the idea of a referendum without an electoral mandate for holding it. Which is that when we had the referendum for Brexit, I mean, the Tories had it in their manifesto, they ran and they got a majority, which we weren't expecting them to get. And on that basis, they held the referendum. They didn't get a majority, though. No, they, they did. No, they did, yeah. They did for a short while, do you 2015. remember? Yeah, 2015 to 2017. They had oh, 2015 to 2017. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, when they sorry. held the first right, referendum right, in 2016. Right, right, right. Um, 
so that, I mean, that's there. Now we'd be having the referendum without having gone to the country to secure it. The, the idea of holding it. Now, I'm not strongly held to this view, but, but it does make me feel a little bit nervous. And it does, I think, you have to keep on thinking, what does my opponent hope I would do? Exactly. What would make his argument easiest against me? Yeah. Right? And on that basis, doing it ahead of an election seems to me that it would play into that narrative much more strongly than if you did it on the other side of an election. I, I, I just raised a lot of objections. I can't, ag- I can't agree with that for the very simple reason, reason that I think first past the post skews the electoral maths. If this were a you know PR election, I would say absolutely go for it, put it to the people, let the people choose. But the point is it's not. It, the electoral math is massively skewed a, by first past the post, and B, by the, the fact that parties can effectively choose the candidates they put up in safe seats. So if the Conservatives decide to put up a slate of really obediently Brexit MPs Which they are. up in you know all those seats, then there is a very high probability that you will end up with a generic mandate for a no-deal Brexit, which I think is a truly undemocratic um, situation. Tony- to go, you know, how does how does a Brexiter that wants to nationalise railways vote? How does so, so this a Remainer so Tony Blair, who will support neoliberal economics vote in a general election? Tony Blair is saying do them both on the same day, have the general election and the referendum on the same day. Mm. So then people can say, well, I can't vote for Corbyn, but I can vote for remaining in the mm. EU. That seems I mean, complicated. I, my, my, my concern is about the democratic legitimacy of the referendum in terms of a clear win. So I think we need 60-40. I don't think a, f- a 52-48 the other way is going to resolve anything. Mm-hmm. And it'll be great for the podcast because we'll just be sat here getting older and older and older <laughs> We're still not doing the, the show. Thing in the country. Well, there's not um, been a single poll this year that has um, uh, leave ahead. No, not no, one. no. But we are stuck at 53 um, ten, 10 points today in yeah no but the poll of polls yeah. the trend you know sure. the, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's because not it's it, I'm, I'm telling you, yeah, like, it, you I'm know, all over this I know 47.53 and it's not great 47.654 um, has the and, best case scenario right. and then a turnout yeah and I, I, I think that you could end up in a situation with a boycott of a referendum and then a vastly reduced turnout on another referendum and then what? It did, again, yeah. it doesn't go away. So I, I, I sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm closer probably to Ian's position. Just that I think we do need to resolve something through a general election. I also don't think we should be too scared happen. about a general election, even on um, first past the post. I share all of your views on first past the post. But at the moment, I mean, there are some areas in which that sort of it doesn't look too shabby for us. Certainly, the degree of confidence in Downing Street about how they would win that is misplaced, I think. And some of the analysis now looks at the way in which sort of remain seats would be allocated. I mean, for instance, as you're just saying, you know, the fact that lots of the Lib Dem, Lib Dem votes are anyway in seats where Labour doesn't figure in the first place. The SNP obviously are sort of owning that sort of area. You could say, I could do the same for Plaid. So I, I fundamentally, looking at lots of the sort of work around the polling, I don't lack that much confidence in the election. You would be a, a madman to put your fucking money down in any direction on the way that election goes. It's going to be tough and a lot of it's going to come down to tactical voting and the kind of volatility that a campaign involves. But I, 
I don't feel particularly pessimistic about it. And I certainly think that when Cummings puts out those statements of like, it's an election, they hate Parliament, you're going to get a right twatting, that is meant to make us feel as if we would invariably lose. And I don't yeah. think that's the case. But I'm not scared of a general election. I'm just saying that it is likely to not produce uh, a resolution to the problem. And I don't think Johnson should be allowed to go to the country and say, vote for a no-deal Brexit and I will give you 70 billion for policemen and new hospitals. Yeah, it's bad, but what can we do to you, stop that? That's, no, I mean, but the point a, is that's a dishonest... Uh, yeah. You know, what if you... you what, but what do you put on the ballot paper for a referendum? If, if, and, and if Boris commits himself to a no-deal Brexit which, from the briefing coming out, looks likely, I think that question should be put specifically, not generally, to the public. It is too big a constitutional change and too catastrophic and long-reaching an economic change to just do it on the basis of a 35% win in an election. So, So you're positing a binary referendum, leave on no deal or remain? Well, if that is uh, if that is the position the the Conservative Party end up with, yes, that is, actually that is also one of the dangers, isn't it, of doing it before an election? Yes, mm. that there's no deal to put down on the ballot paper. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you, if you were to do it after an election, you would have that, that policy that everyone's taking yeah. the piss out of Labour for holding, but actually does that Labour would go and get a deal, and then yeah. that would be the other part. So that that is another part of the dynamic of trying to sequence those two events. I mean, the the practical thing that would actually solve this would be for part. Parliament to get together and agree by an overwhelming majority now that whatever deal happens will be subject to a ratification referendum, which is that's that's the thing that needs to go forward. Now, a short musical interlude. Right after we recorded this podcast, a remarkable endeavour came to our attention, a Brexit disco concept album. Friend of the show, Rodri Marsden and collaborators have recorded The Hustle, a Brexit disco symphony under the name Article 54. It features the voices of a galaxy of stars from the Brexit mess, from Theresa May and Boris Johnson to James O'Brien, and it's quite good and very authentic in a glossy mirrorball type style. You can hear Article 54 now on Spotify and Apple Music, or you can buy it at, what else, article54.eu. Here's a snippet. This is a bit of the track Canada Plus. We had no time for Gone in 60 Seconds last week, but don't worry, it's back, 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 like an alternative arrangements customs drone buzzing through the untroubled skies of South Armagh. <laughs>
This is the bit where one of our panel takes a favourite lever argument and has one imperial minute in which to reduce it to cinders and rubble. This week it's Ian's turn and he gets popular lever bugbear the Lisbon Treaty, which he has talked about an awful lot on Leave Twitter. People say things like, read the Lisbon Treaty, as if they've read the Lisbon Treaty. Uh, The one that you've got to deal with, Ian, in a minute is, the Lisbon Treaty means we'd lose our veto and we'd have to join the Euro, so that's why we have to leave. You have 60 seconds to tell us what the Lisbon Treaty really is and why people should shut up about it starting now. They shouldn't necessarily shut up about it. It's quite an interesting topic. Um, I mean, I've just only come across this because this is the whole Lisbon Treaty 2020 thing, which fucking doesn't exist because the Lisbon Treaty was done <laughs> absolutely ages ago. Um, and look, and it sort of says, we're, we're going to lose our veto. And in fact, there are some changes to, to the way the Lisbon Treaty organises things at the EU Council level. The EU Council decide on things, whether through qualified majority or normal majority or a veto or rather through unanimity. So there's some changes there, but nothing to be particularly concerned about. The irony of all of this is that the Lisbon Treaty should be something that Eurosceptics would welcome. Because remember, the Lisbon Treaty followed from uh, when the Netherlands and France rejected the EU constitution. In yeah. response to that, they got together, tried to figure out what the fuck they were going to do. They mostly barraged a shitload of constitutional stuff in. But there was there were two significant changes. The first one was council took precedence over the commission, which is a, quite an interesting and important change. And the second one was that they started to rely again on intergovernmental treaties over centralised decision-making, which is precisely what Eurosceptics say they want. And that's exactly it in my book. How about that? It's almost like you could see me waving fingers in the air and counting down. (laughs) Right, finally. You know how Project Fear was a malicious confection of made-up stories created by the treacherous metropolitan elite? Funny story, turns out it was true all along. A report from the Institute for Fiscal Studies says the UK economy has done every bit as badly over the past three years as forecasters predicted. The economy is 50 to 60 billion pounds less well-off than it would have been, and it is starting to slow as well, with business pessimism rising, shop chains enduring their worst September since records began in 1995, and the labour market, long me Brexiter's go-to bit of good news, softening badly. Employment fell more in annualised terms in the six months to July 2019 than at any time since early 2012. Meanwhile, Sterling's down and another separate Institute for Fiscal Studies study says that a no-deal Brexit would more than double Britain's budget deficit to £100 billion. And none of this news seems to cut through to the Brexit base. Ian, why is that? Why does it not cut through? Oh, because it's not an economic debate. It's a debate about identity, as we have covered, you know, very, very well, many, many, many times on this thing. And it never really was. I mean, during the referendum, it wasn't then and it wasn't immediately afterwards. And it doesn't matter what we fucking say on this area. It is a bit upsetting after a while just to be stuck in this fucking parallel reality, given what austerity did. You know, that for Mm. fucking years we had to see this just this economically illiterate crime perpetrated on the poorest people in this country in the name of maintaining confidence in the bond markets. That was the thing. Yeah. If this keeps on happening, there's going to be a flight away from away from bonds, then, you know, we're not going to be able to pay our debt, blah, 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 blah. You heard it a million fucking times before. And now... It, it's as if it never fucking happened. I know. And you have to almost cling on and right to now reality the market with both are, hands. And right now the markets are going, what the fuck are yeah. you doing? Yeah. And no one is paying yeah. any attention. The, actual, the injustice of I have to say, it, it's getting harder and harder to mm. permeate my sort of my layers of defence against the world. But every so often, the fucking injustice of that really does get through. We're having more and more businesses coming forward and saying, look, we just about survived 0809. We definitely can't survive another big shock like a no-deal Brexit. But then 
disturbingly when we're talking when we're focus grouping, particularly with um, Tory Remainers. So these are people who voted Remain but tend to vote Conservative. They say things like, well, yes, no deal would be awful, but it would probably only be awful for a couple of years. And we survived 0809 and by 2012 things were a bit better and it was it was not too bad. Whereas if we empower a Corbyn-led government, we're stuck with him for five years. And you know, so it, it's right, it is, it's the emotional and... It's it, when you even say to them, okay, and which Corbyn policy are you most concerned about? And they can't name it. So it yeah, is yeah. all back to this sort of very, uh, you know, um, instinctive reaction and 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 how people are feeling emotionally rather than rationally about so much of the stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a there's a, a raft of economic policies on the Corbyn side. On on the Conservative side, economics has just been on pause since 2016. Is there a is there, a, is there a, a load of stuff that ought to be in the space of conservative economics right now? Are there ideas for a future conservative economy that are, not, are independent of Brexit? Well, let's be... Well, I mean, in a way, they're following it now. I mean, what's being... I mean, they, they don't say this, and quite possibly they're not capable of articulating it or knowing what any of these words fucking mean. But what they're basically following right now is a Keynesian economic... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... Full out. We're, we're at zero economic growth. They're... Suggesting about just pumping fiscal stimulus into the economy. I honestly don't know if that is of any intention. I I, I think it is. It's, you know, it's just him going, want the popular stuff. So tell them there'll be more fucking hospitals. Tell them there'll be more police. Not only because they think that's popular, but also because it takes the conversation away from Brexit and allows them to say, for those people who want it all over, if you combine Brexit will end in a very decisive Mm -hmm. way, plus more you know, schools and hospitals and whatever, then that, that should work for you. Mm. But ultimately, when you strip it all down and look at what they're doing, it's classic Keynesianism. Yeah. And Labour Leave voters care much, much more about ending austerity and about hospitals and schools than they do about Brexit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the more he can do to appeal to them, which is exactly, as, as you say, give them what they want and tell them the, they're going to the get The question was, however... What's the conservative future economic policy? That's not a conservative policy, as you just pointed out. It's got all low tax, that, low tax. They'll be going for low tax. Sure, but I mean, just just for the record, I mean, the Conservatives held on to Keynesianism. For, you know, oh yeah, from the end yeah, of the there, war, all nothing, the way through until Margaret yeah, Thatcher. There's nothing unconservative okay. about that. Mm-hmm. About fiscal stimulus. Well, it's certainly probably old. the most conservative <laughs> thing you can do. It's not Hayekian and it's not Milton Friedmanite or whatever. But that's a yeah. later development. I mean, you could be a conservative and support fiscal stimulus. In fact, they were, you know, a much more tolerable party when they did. <laughs> Yeah. And and every Chancellor Bar Ken Clark, every Conservative Chancellor Bar Ken Clark has stoked up a housing boom ahead of a general election. And mm-hmm. you know, ah, housing what, booms. What, I remember yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> good luck with that good one this time. Yeah. In, the, in the Cretaceous period, um, Alex, on the show a couple of weeks ago, you said we might not like what Trump is doing with his trade policy of you know, trade wars and aggression and, and, and America first, but he is correct to do it at this time in America's history. He's America's sort of last. Moment of power. yeah, that's not exactly what I said. I said there is a there is a logic to it. Yeah, he's doing it really badly, mm-hmm. but certainly this is the last chance America will get to renegotiate, rearrange its relationship with China before China gets so big that it can tell it to fuck off. Yeah, the, there is an absolute logic to that. And uh, but a post Brexit Britain would be very much at the other end of of that policy. Are we? Oh no, Brexit. Britain will be an irrelevance to that policy. That's the point. That is exactly the point. I said, I think, four years ago when Cameron um, first called the referendum, I said the choice 
effectively is do we want to be in the European Union or do we want to be a 51st state or do we want to be a protectorate of China? Those are the choices. In a model of nation states, when you have two nation states as big as the states and China and emerging economies like India and, and Brazil, you cannot hope to maintain your global position as a middling-sized economy without banding with other people. It's as simple as that. It's unsustainable. It's almost as if we should join a large association of mm. 27 neighbouring states. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is it, isn't it? Because you see the Cummings thing and, and the Trump attitude towards international relations are basically the fucking same. It's, you know, this idea, it's all a zero-sum game, smash yep. them about, yeah, yeah, yeah. be yeah. a bit tough, and off you go. The thing is... Trump can sort of get away with quite a lot of this. I mean, it's about the, the, the tariffs on China are about to start hurting American yeah, consumers. Yeah, and still he's yeah. not and, getting away. Yeah, but, but, but you know, he's got the bulk behind yeah. him yeah, yeah. To, to try and do that. When, when it comes to Britain leaving the EU yeah. to try and act like Trump, you just look like a fucking moron because yeah. you're just not getting your stuff together. You don't have the leverage to go with the threat. And, you know, it's not great to make threats in the first place. Don't do it. But if you are going to do it, at least for the love of God, have some fucking leverage behind you. And, and the thing is that now I'm not sure I think we're in a f sort of purgatory where we may have to exist for the next two decades while we rebuild trust even if we do go back into the fold because we've created such bad will that we're not going to be the influential player within the EU that we were five years ago and that's a big big problem <laughs> A quick reminder about our new companion show, On the House, the Pint After Parliament podcast, where MPs Sam Jima and Philip Lee and friends talk politics over a drink and, frankly, astonishing quantities of Nobby's Nuts. Honestly, <laughs> 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 you should see them. They go through this stuff. They wolf it down. Okay. I'm just amazed Sam Jima and Philip Lee have friends still. Oh, come on. <laughs> Lovely guys. <laughs> no, it's a, I'm joking. It's proper no-holds-barred stuff, and there's a new episode every Friday, so search for On the House on your favourite podcast app. From the current episode, here's special guest Will Hutton of The Observer with his take on the government's sudden conversion to bountiful public spending. Am I pleased that the Tory party is turning its back on mindless austerity? Yes. But here's the big point. You know, if you're going to do something about these communities, you know, the Wigans, the Corbys, the Scunthorpes, particularly coastal Britain, by the way, you know, indiscriminate kind of, you know, I'm going to build 40 hospitals, you know, I'm going to build the Trans-Pennine um, Railway you've got to have a much more strategic and targeted kind of and actually sustainable and sustainable but above all a sensibility about what it's like to be born in one of these places watching someone like Boris Johnson make those commitments I'm absolutely sure they don't speak to the denizens of Clacton because they kind of know that actually it's transient. And anyone who thinks that Boris Johnson and the cabal around him have got their interests at heart need their heads examining. The show is coming to its natural conclusion. Some would say it's essentially impossible for it to continue. <laughs> and that means it's time for the Brexit time capsule. What are we going to miss or need if we ever leave the EU? Now, Ian Dunt, I believe you have a contribution. You're sort of forcing me to do this. <laughs> yes. yes, I am. Oh, right, Ooh, the so sexual okay. tension is palpable. <laughs> More than usual. You need the room, <laughs> Okay, so I mean, like, earlier in the week, I was basically getting you because you know, but basically, Peter Express sort of. There's a lot of talk of them going back to their credits. They have an extraordinary amount of debt, and there was this, 
this image for a moment people were like fucking hell maybe pizza express is going to go and then you know blah, blah, which which is genuinely quite sad for me because like my my very earliest memories of being in like a, a like an actual restaurant rather than like a pizza hut or a mcdonald's or whatever are pizza express and like even now you're just like I fucking like pizza express because it's just guaranteed yeah. no matter where the fuck you're like i will sit down i'll get a decent thing and it won't cost that much you'll be all right plus pizza express and then a trip to the cinema I mean that's pretty much that's your fucking top draw gold standard evening right there. That's that's what you know. I, mean, I, I am that exciting, but that is basically just that is one. We need to talk. So we. <laughs> <laughs> well, it used to be more. It used to be rather more dramatic than that, but nowadays, you know, I'm in my late thirties. So there was that, and then I sort of I had some doughballs, and, and Pizza Express tweeted to us saying we're not going to go into the time capsule, which leads us to believe that at least some of the toppings on a Pizza Express pizza are listeners to this podcast. So we Pizza so Express are listening to this podcast and they don't want to go in the time capsule shout out to Pizza Express we will never put you in we never put you in although we, we will need Italian food we're not going to be able to get any of it won't we well no they would. I mean, they're, they're, they're central messages believe in us we will survive deal or no deal that's the spirit from Pizza Express this week's foreign language clip is from listener Philip Dunkel and it's in the Austrian dialect of German linguistics fans yes we debat kann nur say Die Zeit der Wörterreich ist vorbei. Heute sind wir alle nur mal kleine Zniechtelländer. Da müssen wir zusammenhalten und nicht so einen Blödsinn wie ein Brexit machen. Also dann reißt euch zusammen und lasst es in eure Teil bleiben. That means, hey there, how stupid is it possible to be? The time of global empires is over. Today we're all just small countries, that's why we have to stick together and can't do something as dumb as Brexit. So pull yourselves together and stop messing around. Very Kenneth Williams there from Philip Dunkel. Thank you, Philip. <laughs> Stop messing about. Stop messing about. Stop messing about. Thanks, Philip. If you can speak a non-English European language, then please record a short clip and send it to us at info at romaniacs.com. Fame could be yours. And that is the show. Thank you, Alex. You're back on the road now. Pasha, turn to the left. Yes. Um, Buxton from Friday, yeah. then uh, Durham Gala Theatre next week. Fantastic. Um, you know, for those who say I'm a... I'm a metropolitan <laughs> elite. I'm on tour to, you know, places like Buxton and yeah, Durham. That's the spirit. You weren't and looking at when the, And Snape Malting. When the stage turned and you were sat there draped with slave women. <laughs> you look like you look like that was just like, well, this is just a normal fucking Tuesday yeah, night. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Naomi. Thank you for doing the show. What uh-huh. do people need to know on uh, what, what? What do people need to remember for October the twelfth and the nineteenth? I'm speaking on the twelfth. I know. Oh, nice yeah. one. Uh, just be there and try and bring other people that wouldn't normally go. So if everybody tries to bring one person that's never been on one before, it'll be the biggest ever. So oh, brilliant! Fantastic. Ian, thanks for doing the show. We managed to get through it without mentioning Dominic Cummings as the Joker. So well done. <laughs> Have you seen it yet? Yeah, it's fucking brilliant. I don't know what the hell everyone's talking about. Okay, right. Remember, Romaniacs Live in Manchester on Saturday the 2nd of November. Tickets on sale now. Here's our theme tune, Demon is a Monster by Corner Shop. Don't forget, you can get it as a free download at ampleplay.co.uk. Now, here's our thanks to our latest Patreon backers. Hello and thanks from me to Julie Wheelwright, Nick Page, Edward Costello, Steve Rascoria, Jemima Gibbons, Max Knifton, Daria Crawford, Sheila McMahon, Phil Cooper and Harry. Many thanks from me to James Denman, Daniel Thorlander, Stephen Godfrey, Ron Gray, Alex Dimmer, Emily Bellhouse, Ben Fisher, Anna, Rosaline McCarthy, Claire Heverside and Mary Caroline Wheatley. Yasas Kevgaristo to Adam Hampton, Susie Cuthbert, Seb Shackland, Tim Bishop, Starley, 
Sally Gilson, Bill Erner, Jem, Robert Wells and Owen Jones. Let me read that again, Owen Jones. And it's hello from me to Fiona Snade, Stephen Parker, Lark Cyphron, amazing name, Pete Williams, Sally Dipple, Nigel Thorpe, Maraz, David Eismer, Kevin Brunton, Daniel Barrett and John, just John. I'm going to see you all next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Romaniacs was presented by Andrew Harrison with Alex Andreo, Naomi Smith and Ian Dunt. The producer is Andrew Harrison. Audio production was by me, Sophie Black. Romaniacs is a Podmasters production. Thank you.